Hi. Hi. All right. And this is the part that we're going to try to cut out. We always cut this part out. Because it's always awkward and I say unlike like 10 times. Unlike? Like you say like like a uh, lot? uh, (laughs) uh, What are we talking about? This is season three of the K-12 Engineering Education Podcast. It's your hosts, Pius Wong and Rachel Farrig, recapping South by Southwest EDU 2018 in Austin, Texas. If you missed it, hear about different sessions that you missed, the opinions of people who watched panels, and overall impressions about what happened here and what's going to happen in the future. All right. Hi, Pius. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm good, except that I've got a little bit of a headache. Yeah, you said. Yeah, I was was up trying to create more episodes of this podcast and do more other stuff. Oddly enough, we're recording during spring break, so I should have a little bit more time. But Well, but it depends. Not everybody has spring break. Yeah, yeah. I don't have spring break. You're still doing your job. I'm working. I'm working too. Yeah. Well, happy spring break to those of you who get... You know, this isn't even going to come out during spring break, so maybe (laughs) I shouldn't. But it gives them context. Context is good, as we've learned. Especially since, so what happens in Austin during spring break? Uh, South by Southwest. Yeah. Among other things. Some people leave. They specifically True. avoid. I, <laughs> I spoke with one of our teachers that we used to work with, and she. I asked her because I ran into her. I was like, oh, what are your plans for South by? Are you going to come by? Because I was trying to push people to come to our, our session, session, which we spoke about last time. And she's like, no, me and my husband, we, we go out every year because <laughs> they do funny. not like the crowds. In fact, right now is South by proper. Yes. Big South by, we call yeah, it. Yeah, big South by. There's ridiculous amounts of people around downtown. Yes. But traffic is low elsewhere, I yeah. found out. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. My commute coming mm-hmm. in, so easy. It takes me like maybe 25 minutes to get to work, whereas it normally takes me somewhere between uh, 45 and 75 minutes. Right. It's, that's, yeah. that's the thing that always bothered me about the long commutes. When I used to travel from South Austin all the way up north, mm-hmm. it's like completely unpredictable. Yes. The window of variability is just too much. But then there is that. So going back to South by though, there's that um, Scandinavian airline that created nonstop flights just to come to South by. Really? Did you read about I that? I did not hear oh, that. Oh, I encourage you to go look that up. It's pretty fantastic. Is it only during this yeah. the session only or these two Only weeks? big South by. Nonstop flights just to come to Austin, just for South by. You know, I missed an event just yesterday where there was a Scandinavian video gaming company that wanted to do like a meetup and oh. tell all these local developers what they're doing. And I really wanted to go to that. And they were going to have free Scandinavian food. I don't know. Swedish meatballs. I'm imagining IKEA food, but mm, that's how little I know. I, what is a lingonberry? Well, it's sort of like a gooseberry. But it's red, and it's sweet, and it's yummy. That's too exotic for me. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I want to try it. but Yeah, it's good. But I wanted to see what their video games were all about because I don't know what Scandinavian video games I don't know what Scandinavian are. video games are either. Are they different from other video games? Yeah. I don't know. Are they kinder? And taller? And <laughs> I don't know. Taller. Yes. Uh well, well, we need to find out. Gonna, they have, probably have national health care in their video games. I bet they do. We'll learn from them. So, <laughs> unfortunately, neither of us are going to Big South by, not the official events not this, this year. Not this year. Because we were all spent at EDU. Yeah. We upped our EDU game yeah, from we, the we, previous oh year. Man, we, we did a lot of We EDU went from the stuff. playground 
to conducting a workshop and a meetup. And, a meet and so I feel that yeah. that's that is a step up. We we gave ourselves a promotion at EDU. Totally. And so we focused on that. And we still met people. Yeah, and we apparently did a pretty good job based on the feedback we have so far. Yeah, I remember us pat well me patting myself on the back. <laughs> no, we we've gotten good feedback. Yes. And I've, I sent out some follow-up emails. I saw those. I haven't read them yet, but I did see them in my inbox. I will say that podcasters are really into podcasting. Oh, for and sure so they that, are. They have Super definitely responded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing stuff like this, like right. earning headaches I know. Uh, to try to get <laughs> podcast episodes out. It's a labor of love. Yeah. Well, uh, I think South by went well. We talked about our sessions. Mm-hmm. And Rachel, I just wanted to talk with you about our general impressions outside of our sessions like what did you think about what you had seen the people you had seen the things you had I feel felt? like I saw more classroom teachers at EDU this year than I have in previous years I think there uh previously we'd seen a lot of um education innovators or ed tech specialists mm-hmm. um I I did see I mean I saw person classroom teachers whom I personally know um, but then in hearing other people talk about it, there were plenty of classroom teachers in other sessions. And so that shift in audience, I think, means to me, my my takeaway is that at South by EDU has grown so much that it's finding um, a more localized uh, impact, I guess. You, so like, it isn't so lofty as it used to be. I see, that I it's see. it's full of information that you can take away, hit the ground running, and actually use it with young people. So it's not just theory. It's not theory, and it's not um, you know necessarily um, that startup feel. I mean, it's still mm-hmm. got that, but it isn't targeted just toward corporate people who are Uh trying to innovate education it's now really becoming even more inclusive that's interesting but i could be wrong i don't know no no i so um it's hard for me to judge because i didn't see as many sessions as i wanted to sure but talking to other people who were floating around i mean talking to other teachers and and other educational leaders they said other things like the popular sessions seemed to be the instructional sessions Mm -hmm. like things about actual pedagogy or teaching methods yeah and not just that but also equity in education is also a theme this year social and emotional learning and equity in education were huge this year right so it was all stuff you could literally bring back to the classroom and i thought that was really interesting so i didn't speak to ed tech people really uh this year not as much as last year yeah and i i think there was actually a little bit of pushback against ed tech and i would say rightfully so so um my brother also was in town as you saw. Yes. And he went to... Thank you, Linus, for helping. <laughs> yeah, he's an ed tech person, sort of. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not actually in the industry. He is a software developer, and he wants to explore more of that. Yeah. And he was there going to a bunch of different sessions, and I spoke to other people confirming this too. But as an example, he said that one of the best sessions he went to, because there were some bad ones, but one of the best sessions uh, were or was a session with like an educational leader from KIPP, the charter school mm-hmm. organization, and some ed tech leaders and kind of just having a discussion about where ed tech is and what people want from educational technology yeah. and how, yeah, it's great that we have a lot of technology, but that's not good enough. We need actual data on which 
educational technologies work. Yes. How are they impacting student learning? How are they making teachers better teachers? Which we don't have. We don't have, we don't that, have data. that information. And no. part of it is, as many people know, educational data is hard to come by. It's also proprietary. There, actually, that came up because like one of the discussions was at the end, um, some people want to know, well, all these different companies, they're collecting data, which mm-hmm. has a value. Mm-hmm. And companies, I mean, oftentimes they're for-profit, but some nonprofits too, they want to protect their yes. their value-making products, their Well, it's data. sort of their intellectual property Yeah, so why in would they share it? Right. Why would ETS, for example, want to share all their research with um, a competitor company that, that like Standardized Pearson or something? testing. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. For example, but they're the ones collecting all this data or other educational technologies. Like if, if you have um, toys that are supposed to teach computer science yeah. or games, like I'm trying to make, they're supposed <laughs> to teach some kind of engineering concept. They're fun and maybe we can measure things like what students feel mm-hmm. about these fields. But then when it comes to measuring how much they learn, I think a lot of companies might have some data about that, but they aren't sure. sharing it unless no. it looks really, really, really positive. <laughs> and and also that's that's just hard to get in the first place. It takes years really to see yeah, how effective these things are. And you have to have control groups. And mm-hmm. so the point was that there was actual out loud pushback that like people were saying, hey, we need data, real data on which educational mm-hmm. technology works and not just throw all this money to corporate interests without any kind of accountability. Exactly. I thought it was interesting. I do too, especially looking at it from an educational perspective. I mean, it seems like every year there's a new program, a new software, a new mm-hmm. uh, tablet, a new something. And you need to train teachers on how to implement it in their classrooms. You need to train students on how to use it. Um, there are always acceptable use policies. So you have all this training and development to use these games and these apps or whatever. For what? You know, what is the outcome? What are we getting from this? Yeah. And nobody really has those answers Or maybe sometimes. they do, but they're not sharing They're it. not sharing them. Yeah. Sure. I mean, we used to work together to try mm-hmm. to develop a curriculum. It wasn't a single technology technological product, but right. it was it was still a product. Yes, and we, uh, you know, we can talk about it now. But like as part of the university, we wanted research, just like any university yes. does, about our product. About it, and and we got it. But it took like years yeah. to publish that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if companies have access to it. I think they know. I mean, they have access to PhDs. I mean, they must, yeah. Yeah, and so these are the questions that I, I did speak to EdTech people before um, about some of these things, but it really went to the forefront amongst a lot of people at South by. So I, I like that. Also, before I forget, I think that that question also was applied to not just EdTech people, but mm-hmm. uh, educational institutions like Like, charter schools. Yep, higher ed, charter schools. Yeah, I think in that conversation that I was mentioning with Kip and and the other people, they were kind of throwing that question to them as well. Like Like, what is the value that you're bringing or adding? Yeah, yeah, there's that criticism. How are you doing it differently? Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Because there is some aggregate data, and I think that's what – if you search for it, you can find it. There's aggregate data about different charter school networks saying, mm-hmm. okay, on average across all these, sure. you know, 100 schools, maybe we see higher performance in some states or something. Mm-hmm. But then when you get down to the granular data, yeah, some of that data isn't public. As favorable or yeah. isn't 
publicly Maybe. released? Maybe. We don't know. Or, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when there is not as much transparency, yeah. just like with the ed tech people, like obviously teachers who were prevalent here, as we noticed, they're going to criticize. We want to know, hey, what are the details? Yeah. And I think um, this idea of data is really interesting, and I, I hope it carries through to next year. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you see any uh, of the expo or any of these other things I that we're having? I did not make it down there. So last year, um, I was able to spend more time at South by EDU and at South by Proper or Big South by uh, this year, I've taken on more responsibilities at work, so I ended up, um, I only went to uh, South by EDU for part of the day on the days that we, that we were, were presenting. Present- yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. So I went to work, and then I went downtown, and I did some stuff, and I presented, <laughs> and I said some things, and then I went back to work. So I really didn't get to see as much um, as I would have liked. I stopped in the um, the PBS Teachers Lounge, which was super fun, and it was really uplifting. It was it was it. an enjoyable space. So there was a wall, and they had post its that were uh, fill in the blank, sort of Mad Lib style, um, and it it was thank you, comma name a person uh, for ins- uh, for uh, fill in the blank filling yeah. the blank ing verb to be a an adjective noun. And so you could thank a teacher or someone that you knew for promoting you or inspiring you or somethinging you to be a a better person, a taller teacher. Inspiring you, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be Scandinavian. <laughs> yeah. And so it was really um impactful it was really powerful to see all of those notes and there were so many that i found out that they were replacing them as each day went they didn't have enough room so as new ones would go up they would have to pull old ones down i wonder what they did with that i don't know i would love to i don't know i remember being at an improv show once here in austin and (laughs) they would Apparently, people wrote all these secrets on little post-it notes or pieces of paper, and at the end, they burned them all. Oh, I wonder cool. if like PBS is having some kind of ritual at the end <laughs> to like, all right. I would these imagine are our knowing PBS, they probably archive them somewhere. I guess you know. I don't know. They, I mean, they had happy hour there. They had like free retro T-shirts yeah. to give away if you. You know, took Daniel a Daniel video Tiger with them. made an appearance, but I missed him. Oh, but I took a picture with Arthur the Aardvark. I did see that. You saw that. I really liked that photo, or, or I appreciate Arthur, and so I, yes. I liked that little bit. So PBS, I feel like they know how to show love to their teachers and yeah, educators. They do. Yeah, yeah, and they they just know how to engage people. I was talking to someone else. They're apparently always at South by Big South by too every year, oh. and PBS throws the biggest parties. Which I, I did would not, not know have, that. I know. So next, look just at you, PBS tip for future um, South bys. I'm going to look for the PBS. So booth. go become a member. Join your member station. I that's my plug like because apparently they're doing <laughs> some good stuff. They were also. Um, kind of promoting some of their new educational apps for kids. Yes. I didn't get a chance to test some of them, but I know that they've got a lot of um, educational specialists they working do. on that, so mm-hmm. that's kind of cool. Speaking they, of ed tech. They do, a lot of, uh, they do a lot of field research. So my son is eight, 
And we're on the list for our local PBS station uh, to be able to go test games and apps. Really? Oh, yeah. I didn't and know they do that. we've previewed... Uh, we've previewed some shows before you under, they were like, released. Non-disclosure agreements. I don't know or if there is or not, <laughs> but um, but I I really enjoy being able to uh, to do that kind of stuff with my kid and teach him how yeah. to be, um, you know, to look at things with a critical eye and but also to kind of be enthusiastic about things and be an early adopter and be a go getter and to be a lead user. Yes. <laughs> oh, Speaking of. <laughs> Way to cycle in that academic vocab. Uh, yeah, we we I don't know if we spoke about it, but we'll save that for another. Day. No, I think no, we did our 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 uh, our mini. Th- yeah, the one we, that we did <laughs> last episode. We yes. might have talked about it for a little bit, but yeah. no, that's true. He he's a lead user. Then. He is the lead user. He's testing it with all the bugs and everything. Yep, he sure is. PBS is my competitor now. You know that. No. Well, it's because that I have because I'm going to create my own educational apps. Oh. In theory, I keep saying that. Well, they have teams of people. Yeah, I can't compete with teams of teachers. <laughs> so I saw a couple more cool things, um, or I, I heard about a couple more cool things that happened at South by. One was that Stanford D School, Stanford Design School, had an Ooh. escape room in I a little heard truck about on the outside. That. Yeah. Yeah. So you know what it is? I have, yes, I've done an escape room, You've d- just not that specific one. Okay. And so an escape room, you know, people know that it's like you go in there with your team and you have to solve problems right. and puzzles and logic work things. Together. And yeah. Yeah. So they were, so Stanford Design School was there and they set up a an escape room, but a portable one inside a little truck. And they were parked right around the Austin Convention Center. And the way it worked was they were having fun, but they also wanted to create something that w- could be used to measure or quantify how collaborative a group of people is. Wow. Uh, they like they would so the theory is you could take your your colleagues, your little team, yeah. your science team, go to this portable uh, escape room. And solve your way through it. They'll give you the rundown. Yeah, solve your way through it. And there's someone watching you. Oh, wow. They tell you beforehand what the deal is. And mm-hmm. they tell you, hey, you're going to be scored on how fast you solve these puzzles and how fast you get out. And there's a rubric for oh, okay. how well they grade you on your collaboration. So like communication or? Sure. Well, like specific things. So, for example, one puzzle inside there was um, – there was like a maze or something, mm-hmm. and you needed two people to solve it. On one side, you could see the maze, and on the other side, you controlled a magnet that moved. Oh, so you had to be able to say, like, move, move the thing left. up le- yeah. Yeah, two inches. Now like, turn right for an inch and a half exactly, or something. Exactly. And so the person monitoring would be looking at that and probably noting down, like, how many times you actually communicated. Wow. Or, or if people just gave Or how many mistakes were made. Something like or, that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's a bunch of little puzzles like that. Huh. And at the end of it, they gave you a score. They gave you a grade on how well you work as a team. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's meant to be some kind of PD, a professional development yeah. for – it could be for teachers. They were aiming for both teachers and corporate clients. They are oh, designing this, yeah. this escape room. But it sounded really fun. Uh, and uh, the people who I spoke to who went through it really enjoyed it. And so I want to do it one day, but I didn't get a chance to do it I myself. Know, that I seems to check it out. Awesome. I it made me think of um the idea that students, especially in engineering, they should design a, an escape room. It's like a modern Rube Goldberg. Yeah. Like except the purpose is just to play a game and you can get like your other students to run through your escape room. Sure, but I think that you can incorporate 
a lot of um, a lot of other curriculum and standards yes. in there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you know? can have history puzzles mm-hmm. or art. Very collaborative. Yeah. So I like the idea of That's doing that. Really neat. And um, out of all the other little uh, things that I saw there, I mean, th- there was also Unity. Unity is a platform for making games on the computer video games, and mm-hmm. they were there. They were introducing their educational platform. I should have known about this, but they basically let you program 3D games more easily. Oh, wow. And they used to be the only educational, or, or sorry, the only 3D video game platform that had an educational Focus component, or, like okay. a bunch of tutorials and a curriculum that goes with it, okay, like teaching gotcha. people how to use their video game design system. Okay. And that was for a couple of years. And now an, another competitor uh, video game has finally company, entered the yeah, field. just okay. entered the field. Unreal. And so for the computer science and art people mm-hmm. who, who want to teach how to create games, that was interesting to me. You know, one thing that I did see this year that I, has been, I think, missing uh, for some time so South by EDU tends to focus a lot on STEM because that's, I mean, that's really where the future is, right? We we have to know science, technology, engineering, and math in order to make so many other things happen. I would agree. But this year, the arts were coming back. There were more STEAM components and STEAM-focused things than I have seen in a long time. And that really um, made me happy. I think that you yeah. can't leave those out. There is a wide body of research that does show, you know, um, students who engage in music or fine arts education, um, just like students who speak dual or multi-languages, just perform better and learn faster and learn more and have um, usually higher levels of um, self-efficacy than students who do not receive that sort of arts focus or arts supplement, whatever you want to call it. So I've heard that sometimes music can help you learn math. Mm -hmm. And depending on the context or the teacher, speaking of context, (laughs) it can help you learn science or English. And I I mean, well, I mean, I think about so when I taught physics, um, there are a number of different ways to teach waves and resonance and things like that. But that's what music is and seeing guitar strings vibrate Mm -hmm. or um you know watching the head of a drum vibrating there's some application yes and research has shown that you retain things more people learn more when you tie what you learn to your real life or something you can see or understand or or hear or like why does a trombone why do we yeah slide it out and slide it in because we're shortening or lengthening the path of the air because that's what makes the sound different i was gonna say you know funny that's (laughs) like of all the musical instruments i think the trombone is one of the funniest ones that and the accordion i have i i attach humor to certain instruments you know (laughs) what you said reminded me of something that came up during our session about designing lessons Mm -hmm. there was this moment where amar our co-presenter amar and i well he was demonstrating a game uh called just just the he was doing books oh Oh, no no i'm thinking about like he was doing the detail game oh yeah yeah or or yes i know i'm sorry i know where like you start out saying something in fact he started out saying a, a Texas educational knowledge. I think he did, yes. He started by saying an educational standard for Texas. Mm -hmm. And it was a standard from math 
Algebra one, like students must learn linear equations and how to solve them. Right. And Amar is not a math teacher, and it was really interesting that he started. He had to be inspired by this by standard. one or two words in yeah. the standard. And right. He, he focused on the word linear, I think. Yep. And he started going off on like how music. Feels linear because he's a musician, and, yes. and he's just like starting to say stuff. And we, music is really linear, and like I, I wish I could bring back my trombone or something. Yes, and like I, I had to be inspired by that. Yep, and like oh yeah, trombones were where my grandmother played. I don't know. <laughs> I forget the story but you guys told. After we played that improv game, rightly so, someone asked, or or maybe Amar brought up the question of like, how does that relate to designing lessons? Mm -hmm. And especially for him, like he's not a math teacher, so he didn't really know what was going on. But it it was cool because his random words, his random ideas about trombones and music made me think of some lessons that I could use in my math class that I'm actually teaching right now. Yes. It was about like, oh, he made me think, you know, we always talk about making math visual, you Mm -hmm. know, with graphs, with geometry. But I'm like, how can we make math also more audible? Or tactile. Tactile, even. Yeah. right. These different sensory things where like, yeah, we could play instruments. We could have a tone that rises linearly. What happens if you... Parabolically. Yeah. So that's what I was thinking. I think of um, the radioactive decay chart. Sure, sure. So what happens if you do something similar, for example, with a slide trombone? Or, yeah, or like you can measure the distance. Or a piccolo. Or, yeah, right, you like move your trombone at a linear rate versus a... air column at right. halfway, at a quarter way, at an eighth. Right. What happens? I was talking to my brother actually about it. And like, because I play the piano, mm-hmm. I, I like that. It's both tactile and visual and audible. Yes. And you can measure the number of keys that you you are walking along from mm-hmm. the lowest to the highest 88, 88th key. And in in physics class or whatever class, you can just... Put a linear rate of pressing those yep. keys, and then you can change that to an exponentially increasing one yep. or something. And like, I or love if that. you have an old piano and can take the the back off, and your oh. kids can see, they can see the shape sure. of the strings. Yeah. It's not yeah. a straight oh, line. You're right. You're right. You they know? learn about frequency and yeah. all these other things. Yeah. So all in all, it just reminds me, like, yeah, all these interconnected ideas mm-hmm. is where we need to go. And I'm happy you brought up that steam connection. here taking a few seconds in this break to say thank you to the supporters of this show who helped us get into south by southwest edu this year and who also financially support this podcast making it all possible we really appreciate it and thanks Now that we've talked about the things that were cool, I have to mention some of the things that were not so cool. Oh. Well, just a little bit. So one of the criticisms that I've heard, it's South by can be a grab bag. Like you go to sessions and yeah. a lot of times they're disappointing. That's what I hear like from mm-hmm. countless teachers. Like you go in and some you're disappointed and like, ugh, this is well, a waste. So you just go to another session. The one I heard session. about was it was a panel. And apparently the moderator just was – the way it was explained to me was that the moderator was not uh, – she was too polite to cut off a particular speaker mm-hmm. who just kind of went on and on and on. And so the oh. other panelists really did not get equal uh, talk time, and so that really devalued 
the whole purpose and the intent mm-hmm. of the panel. So I did hear about one of those. Because you have to rely on a good moderator. Yeah, and, a, and the facilitator has to be able to say, you know, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. So let's move on to whomever. You have to be able to yeah. kind of politely step in and have someone stop talking. Right. I will say something that has gotten better is um, the South by is really trying to prevent the sales pitches mm-hmm. at these things, which I appreciate. So it's not just people being like, oh, buy our testing program yes. or go buy our, our Right, curriculum. like a glorified yeah. um, trade show, essentially. Right. Well, like you sign up for a for. session and, oh, no, it's really trying to get you to buy something. Right, right, which I, I don't like that at other conferences. No. And I'm mm-hmm. glad that South By is trying to be more transparent with it. I don't yes. mind being sold to as long as But keep I it know in the expo, right? The expo, yeah. And there was also an in- innovation hub, quote, unquote, where yeah. – um, that was more corporate people who were there the entire days. And, mm-hmm. and I think they're targeting a different clientele, probably the principals and superintendents. Of, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Um, so the other thing about South by was that I, I do think that despite the sometimes lackluster presentations, there's still always some amazing ones. Yeah. And I feel like people remember those. They're willing to to overlook some of the crappy <laughs> talks sure. because they can always just leave, yes. go to another one. And plus there's all that networking you do at night, yeah. which people appreciate as well. You know, Betsy DeVos was apparently talking at South by oh, EDU. She was there during there. our first session. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. We were we were competitors with her. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that she got a she tepid a, response. Yeah, I heard that as well. Yeah, people weren't that enthusiastic about the stuff that she was well, saying. Well, I think that she didn't have – she didn't bring any new – she did, you're content. Right. She's she saying the said same stuff things that, she's that been she saying. has said before. She's pro uh, charter schools, pro private organizations, educational technology. She wants to get more technology in general mm-hmm. um, around. And but for the most part, teachers, at least at South by, not too enthusiastic. Well, about they. It. I think that they had some. It, it was my understanding that there were critical questions that she really couldn't address. She didn't have enough information or was not prepared to answer those questions. Right. Either choosing not to or just not prepared. Yeah. And um, I'm sure she's going to be in the news some more, like, between the time that we're recording now and by the time we release this episode. Because now she's talking about gun violence in schools. Mm. Not exactly a K-12 engineering uh, topic, but but definitely definitely, an education topic. Yeah. And I'll be interested to hear where that goes in the yeah. future. So it's always interesting to me how South By tries to bring in politics. Last year, it was for sure there. Mm-hmm. It's here, too, in the form of those equity in education mm-hmm. talks. Yes. As well as in inviting you know, our education secretary. And I think they're going to continue to do that, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. What do you want to do in future South Bys? Well, so I was thinking about this. The first year that you and I did South By together, we did EDU at the playground, and then we did Big South By. And then this year, we didn't do Big South By, but we got 
like I said, we promoted we ourselves. Up yeah, we EDU. doubled up on Plus, EDU. I had to so we stepped up our game. around and be press. And yeah, 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 yeah. You had a book signing. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, which I, that was cool. I spoke to a guy who I went to college with actually, and he's an educational consultant too. Like, nice. uh, doing teaching design thinking. Design thinking was a big trend. Yeah, there, that was big I this have year. That up. Yeah, but uh, so I think for next year, we kind of started. At a three, and this year we went to maybe four point seven. We're gonna go to five six. Six. We're gonna go to We're six. We're gonna go straight six or maybe six point one. Is this out of ten or <laughs> yeah, out of six? I don't know. Maybe out of maybe out of twelve. The numbers just mean whatever we want. Yeah, this we're just stepping up our game little by little. <laughs> I think next year we should try for two EDU presentations and. A big South by. I think so. And we can. I mean, in theory, if I get, you know, my stuff in gear, <laughs> my beep in gear, then I can, like, create some tools or do some research that might actually be useful. Yeah. Um, and, and I am working on stuff that's relevant to them. Sure. Uh, not just digital games, but I'm, I'm interested in VR, virtual reality. I When I say I'm interested, by the way, it means that I'm super skeptical of virtual reality mm. and education because I think it's really expensive and not good enough yet. Yeah. But I, I would like to play around in that space just to explore yeah. it. And, and I, I don't yeah. know. So we talked about this a little bit in um, our in our first session, Designing Better Lessons, that in order to um, teach empathy or to um, do a lead user analysis that you could – um, you, you could use VR. VR. You could. But I don't... Can I explain? Like, Yeah. So we were talking about empathic lead user analysis, just trying to give designers a better feel of what it's like to be in the experience of their customers. So what if, to use an engineering example, what if you know, you're an elderly rock climber or something? Maybe we don't want to put you as the designer at risk by climbing rocks or something. And you're, you're designing a rock climber, mm -hmm. some gear or something. Like you could be a rock climber and experience what it's like to be a rock climber. But to be an elderly rock climber, we might have to put, you know, 100 pound weights on you or right. something. Right, so or that it make emulates you really tired. that stiffness. Something. Yeah, something. Yeah, something. Mm -hmm. But that's risky and I don't think that's ethical <laughs> to right. do that. So what if instead you were in the virtual place of an elderly rock climber, like someone who is already kind of experienced, they have a VR camera and they're doing it on their own. They would be rock climbing anyway. Mm -hmm. And they're just, you're just coming along for the ride. Yeah. Maybe you can sort of experience that. But like, so where we were thinking about it, we were talking about how people design lessons. So we simulated uh, people with vision loss by covering their eyes with mm -hmm. a sleep mask. Well, what if we wanted to simulate what it's like to be the lead user of the only girl in a classroom full of boys in your computer science class. Mm -hmm. What if? Well, I can't put on an eye mask to simulate that. Right. But we could get an actual, you know, female student who's in a computer science class somewhere where it's there's there's not a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately today there's a lot of cases of that. Maybe she's wearing a VR camera, a small one or something. Maybe everyone's aware of what's going on. I know that this poses a lot of ethical and right. privacy well, issues. That's, yeah, because people are going to say, well, you're leaving out, you know, the years of experience of hearing 
you know, boys are good at this and girls this should, you know, or whatever. Right. So, yeah. So that's the thing. VR can maybe simulate certain parts of being a certain user or a certain exactly. person. Exactly. But I want to repeat, I don't want to trivialize experience. that. Yeah. yeah, just like putting on a sleep mask is not going to make us really know what it's like to be to have some vision loss or right. be blind. To be visually impaired right. or blind. Exactly. And so it is a very um, tricky thing to design a proper empathic lead user analysis where you aren't trivializing things, but you are still trying to give your designers an authentic experience, like get them closer to what they understood yeah. before. And I think VR could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's something to think about. Yeah. Uh, but there's we're plenty of other ideas. To, yeah, yeah. And I think that we're happy to, to take ideas from other people, not take ideas from <laughs> other people. Ideas, yeah. <laughs> Give us your ideas. <laughs> hey, I'm not going to do all of them, but other <laughs> no, people but should I mean, take if ideas. you have things that you want us to look into for a South by presentation for next year, I think that that would be okay. Yeah. If or the, panel. Or workshop, yeah, a panel discussion. or meetup. I mean, there, I have lots of ideas. Yeah. Like basically, one question that I wanted to know was, what do the testing companies and other researchers know about better evaluation of portfolios? Because for engineering education, that is critical. Sure. And like, yeah. even Standardized testing doesn't cut it for it, what not. have you been designing. No. And I was talking with people who work at Google and Facebook and, and these computer science places at least. And at least for those CS organizations, they definitely look at more than just grades now. Oh, they yeah. want to see your portfolio. They want to see they your body see of work. Design. Exactly. And for the uh, engineering classes in general, we know that the University of Texas and other universities, they want to offer dual college credit. And they do that by evaluating high school students students design portfolios. Now, how does a company like ETS or Pearson or um, any of these other places, how do they design efficient tests to evaluate someone's design Mm -hmm. skills? I don't know. And maybe they don't have an answer to that. Sure. And I would like them to have an answer to that because obviously I'm not researching that, but there's data (laughs) out there that um, could be really useful. And my other question is, do design skills, do do um, the grades that people get on these design portfolios, do they eval- Do they correlate with the grades they might get on a standardized test like the SAT sure. or the GED? Yeah. Or any- so you ace the ACT or the SAT, but you aren't uh, turning in suck. design. Or, or, <laughs> or you don't know how to deal way. with people. <laughs> like, I, I'm not... I'm not talking with uh, the priests here that I grew up with. Like, I, I was I'm gonna, really I was just gonna use kinder words. Sorry, no, it's okay. I'm not you personally, Rachel. <laughs> I guess I'm getting worked up. But like, this I, is I knew clearly that clearly a point of passion for I, you. I'm talking about myself though. Like my designs when I first started out, they were bad. And well, I, but isn't that? Stand, I mean, you're right. Everyone goes through a first that. year teacher, usually five or 10 years down the road, looks back and says, yeah. Dear students <laughs> in my classes, the first year I was teaching, right. I am sorry. Which is usually why they have student teaching. Like, well, you but get a even couple, then, it's not, you're right. Yeah, it's not the best. No. And, and even as an engineer, yeah, we try to give ourselves and our students more design experiences and mm-hmm. internships and all of the hands on experiences we can get. Yeah. And, it's funny that like but bosses will evaluate the design skills yeah. and teamwork skills of their engineering workers, mm-hmm. but do but how do does teachers that trickle know down that? to yeah. the teachers college know how level? To do that too. Right. right? Yeah, professors professors should know 
It's it's a pipeline. We talk about in education, we talk about vertical alignment so that the kindergarten teachers are prepping kids for first grade, first grade preps right. for second, so on and so right. forth, so that you don't have those gaps so that by the time a student is, you know, an upperclassman, they've been well prepared the whole entire time. And when you don't prep someone adequately, that's when those gaps in learning and achievement start and they're harder to overcome as time goes on. Mm -hmm. And so really, and I've, I've heard other people say this, the industry professionals should have a say so all the way down to the pre K level. This is what we need people to know and do as soon as they walk in the door. So how do you prep them for that going backwards? I, and I would love to be part of that discussion because there's two things that makes me think of. If we save this for next year, mm-hmm. like one of those discussions is um, those industry professionals have to be more involved. Yeah. And, and are they? That That's one criticism of mine. Sure. And then the second thing is some people say they're too involved, like in the sense that if we're only going to be teaching what – corporations want for example then are we going to learn philosophy are we going to learn ethics are we Mm -hmm. i think we will because i think we're getting to the point where businesses despite trying to make money i mean they still want i think we're seeing a shift yeah Yeah, it's different from 100 years ago a little bit we don't have child labor as much (laughs) for example (laughs) for example to use an extreme case but like those are two intertwined um issues yeah Yeah. like how do we get the right amount of go ahead Influence, participation, yeah. or of, of what is that balance? Companies? You don't want CEOs saying this is what you need to teach, but at the same time, how do you prep kids to be able to walk into that? And that's really what right. when we talk about, and this is in air quotes, college and career readiness. Essentially, that's what we're talking about. But who are really who are the players in that discussion? Yeah. And I think that maybe – so maybe we have a panel next right. year. And and there should be like some uh, government leaders maybe or the education board yeah, leaders. Yeah, especially from state. for states like Texas where the educational standards are legislated. They're, so they're they written into law. they bring people to yeah. the table including corporations and yep. teachers. Mm-hmm. So that would be really interesting and, and that would be part of the discussion. Sure. I think that when – Money-making businesses or, or non-profit, when, when other non-educational institution interests are part of the discussion, mm-hmm. I think that it can be a very good thing. It could also be a very bad – like it, yeah. it's not inherently bad. No. But I'd like to see descriptions of examples of it working and not working so yeah. we can see the patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, Because there are sometimes – it's just – you know, just parents who are deciding what kids are learning. Yeah. And I, I actually think that goes wrong sometimes if there sure. are parents who decide not to teach like science. Well, that's, or I, not yeah. To teach so physics. I think about homeschooling, you know, some, some children who come out of homeschooled environments go on to college and are highly successful. Some students who come out of homeschooling environments are not prepared yeah. for, you know, secondary or post-secondary education. So it's the question of like, what are the patterns? Yeah. And, there was a session at this last South by EDU, which was raising a question that people have been asking for a while. How do you prepare kids for jobs that don't exist mm-hmm. yet? 
we don't know what's coming, so how do we get them prepared? Right, and their argument was, you know, design thinking, collaboration, 21st century skills. These skills that yeah. we, yes, exactly. Those. So, so I think that there are like like those 21st century skills that came out of corporate collaborations, right? Probably. Like, or there was some input on what people need. Yeah. Still, even if. If coal mining goes away, for example, I don't know, but like, but they you say, still need to be able to solve problems, right? And you talk need with to people. be able to analyze um, text and make decisions, right? You need to be right. able to work as a team. To yeah, speak, these to read. are common, common um, yeah. foundations for any level of success, right? I would like to be part of these discussions. Yeah. What else for next year? Is that it? We have plenty to. I don't know. You, you <laughs> want? You need to. Yep. Let's do We're a book have a signing. Brainstorming. Um, yeah. Let's have a panel. Something improv related. Man, a panel. That's hard work. Okay, we got to yeah, think about that. Yeah, the panel is hard work, but it could be workshop. worth it. Like I, I'm inherently. I definitely I think, want a workshop. A trainer or a teacher. Yeah. So I would like to do a workshop. Well, and I think we get good feedback that way. The meetup was really good too. Like I, I don't know what the meetup went. Far better than I thought. <laughs> That's because Rachel, you were before this. You I was were very terrified. Skeptical it, right? No, I was just skeptical. terrified because it's something that we don't normally do. Yeah, and I don't. Um, networking is a skill, mm. and it takes work and it takes effort. And I haven't done it in a long time. That's not to say I don't need to step up my game because, of course, I do. <laughs> but. Do and doing your own networking is very different than facilitating yeah. other people's networking. Yeah, and I yeah. feel as though you almost need to be better at it to help facilitate it than to just do it for I your own know. self. I, I disagree with that. Oh, I was just scared to death, but it turned no, out it was okay. really good. There were some really amazing discussions. They were podcasting in our session, live podcasting, live podcasting from a podcasting. Cards. Oh, it was great. I learned something. I mean, shout out to Trinity Baker. Like he introduced me to the consortium of YouTube educators Ooh. called We Create EDU. Ooh. And so if you are a teacher YouTuber or, or a teacher who creates some kind of digital media, yeah. you might look up We Create EDU because they get together all the time. They communicate on Slack and collaborate on things. I have just joined. Thanks to Trinity. Because uh, even though I don't do a bunch of YouTube videos now, I would like to do that in the future to demonstrate like improv games for yeah. engineers and design techniques. Mm -hmm. um, but also my podcast is digital media. So maybe we can collaborate in that way. Yeah. And I'll see if I can get them to Exciting. get on the podcast. I don't know. Like these are the things that can come out of a meetup. And I'm thinking, okay, podcasting is a trend right now. Maybe we could have another meetup next year. I would know better how to handle it this time. Yeah, I think it would just be better next year. Yeah, it would totally be better. But it wasn't bad this year. It, so, it I mean, bad. it would it just be great. even better. I, I liked it a lot because I'm getting emails about it. I don't get emails about the designing lessons. Right now. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who would I love to see all in one room talking? Is it like just engineers? Is it just parents? Podcasters today, because maybe it's just video game designers, indie gamers. I don't know. Anyway, we'll think about it. Yeah, but I'm excited about it. Cool. I'm glad you. We're are. gonna we're gonna make this happen. Two EDUs and a big South by. All right. All right. We'll do it. Okay. All right. Thank you, Rachel, for joining me. Thank you, Pius, for having me. As always. Yes. Tune in against us. Tune in against. Two. I can't even talk. <laughs> tune, tune in, in again. again next time. <laughs> Thank you, audience. Yeah, we'll see you in Austin. All right, bye. This has been Rachel and Pius. 
For links and information on some of the things you heard us talk about today, check out the show notes for this episode or find it at the podcast website, k12engineering.net. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on engineering education discussions. Find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, or any other podcast platform. Leave me some comments and reviews too. It'll help others find the show. Tweet the show at K12Engineering or tweet Rachel at rferig or tweet me at Pius Wong. Get more show notes and eventually more transcripts at the podcast website, k12engineering.net. Our closing music is from the song Yes And by Steve Combs, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. The K-12 Engineering Education Podcast is a production of my independent studio, Pios Labs. Support Pios Labs with regular contributions by going online to patreon.com slash Labs. You can also just buy me a coffee. Links on how to do that are on the podcast website, k12engineering.net, and in the show notes. Thank you all for listening. And please join us next time.